8. Part counteracts tropical latitude. European immigration into South America today greatly predominates in the temperate portions, in Argentine, Uruguay, Paraguay, southern Brazil and southern Chile, while Argentine's population includes over 1 million white foreigners, who comprise 20% of the total. Venezuela has no genuine white immigration. Its population, which comprises only 1% of pure whites, consists chiefly of Negroes, mulattoes, and Sambos, hybrids of Negro and Indian race. In British Guiana, Negroes and East Indian coolies, both importations from other tropical lands, comprise 81% of the population. The movement of Europeans into the tropical regions of Asia, Australasia, Africa and America, like the American advance into the Philippines, represents commercial and political, not genuine ethnic expansion, except where it resorts to hybrid isotion. It seeks not new homesteads, but the profits of tropical trade and the markets for European manufacturers found in retarded populations. These it secures either by a small but permanently domiciled ruling class, as formerly in Spanish and Portuguese America, or by a body of European officials, clerks, agents and soldiers, sent out for a term of years. Such are the 76,000 Britishers who manage the affairs of commerce and state in British India, and the smaller number of Dutch who perform the same functions in the Dutch East India Islands. The basis of this system is exploitation. It represents neither a high economic, ethical, nor social ideal, and therefore lacks the stamp of geographic finality. A migrating or expanding people, when free to choose, is prone to seek a new home with like geographic conditions to the old. Hence the stamp once given by an environment tends to perpetuate itself. All people, especially those in the lower stages of culture, are conservative in their fundamental activities. Agriculture is intolerable to pastoral nomads. Hunting has little attraction for a genuine fisher folk. Therefore such peoples in expansion seek an environment in which the national aptitudes, slowly evolved in their native seats, find a ready field. Thus arise natural provinces of distribution, whose location, climate, physical features, and size reflect the social and economic adaptation of the inhabitants to a certain type of environment. A shepherd folk, when breaking off from its parent stock like Abraham's family from their Mesopotamian kinsmen, seeks a land rich in open pastures and large enough to support its wasteful nomadic economy. A seafaring people absorb an ever longer strip of seaboard, like the Eskimo of Arctic America, or throw out their settlements from inlet to inlet or island to island as did Malays and Polynesians in the Pacific, ancient Greeks and Phoenicians in the subtropical Mediterranean, and the Norse in the northern seas. The Dutch, bred to the national profession of diking and draining, appear in their element in the waterlogged coast of Sumatra and Guiana, where they cultivate lands reclaimed from the sea, or as colonists in the Vistula lowlands, whither Prussia imported them to do their ancestral task. Just as the English employed their Dutch prisoners after the wars with Holland in the 17th century to dike and drain the fens of Cambridgeshire and Lincolnshire. Moreover, the commercial talent of the Dutch, trained by their advantageous situation on the North Sea about the Rhine mouths, guided their early traders to similar locations elsewhere, like the Hudson and Delaware rivers, or planted them on islands either furnishing or commanding extensive trade, such as Ceylon, Mauritius, the East Indies or the Dutch holdings in the Antilles. Much farther down in the cultural scale we find the fisher tribes of Central Africa extending their villages from point to point along the equatorial streams, and the river Indians of South America gradually spreading from headwaters to estuary, 
and thence to the related environment of the coast. The Tupis, essentially a water race, have left traces of their occupation only where river or coast enabled them to live by their inherited aptitudes. The distribution of the ancient mounds in North America shows their builders to have sought with few exceptions protected sites near alluvial lowlands, commanding rich soil for cultivation and the fish supply from the nearby river. Mountaineer folk often move from one upland district to another, as did the Lombards of Alpine Pannonia in their conquest of Lombardy and Apennine Italy, where all their four duchies were restricted to the highlands of the peninsula. The conquests of the ancient Incas and the spread of their race covered one Indian valley after another for a stretch of 1,500 miles. Wherever climatic and physical conditions were favorable to their irrigated tillage and highland herds of llamas, they found it easier to climb pass after pass and mount to ever higher altitudes, rather than descend to the suffocating coasts where neither man nor beast could long survive, though they pushed the political boundary finally to the seaboard. Map page 101. The search for better land, milder climate, and easier conditions of living starts many a movement of peoples which, in view of their purpose, necessarily leads them into an environment sharply contrasted to their original habitat. Such has been the radial outflow of the Mongoloid tribes down from the rugged highlands of Central Asia to the fertile river lowlands of the peripheral lands, the descent of the Iran pastors upon the agricultural folk of the Indus, Ganges and Mesopotamian valleys and the swoop of desert-born conquerors upon the unresisting tillers of well-watered fields in all times. From the ancient Hyksos of the Nile to the modern Fulbi of the Niger Valley, the attraction of a milder climate has caused in the northern hemisphere a constantly recurring migration from north to south. In primitive North America, along the whole broad Atlantic slope, the predominant direction of Indian migrations was from north to south, accompanied by a drift from west to east. On the Pacific side of the continent also the trend was southward. This is generally conceded regardless of theory as to whether the Indians first found entrance to the continent at its northeast or northwest corner. It was a movement toward milder climates. Study of the Volker wandering in Europe reveals two currents or drifts in varied combination, one from north to south and the other from east to west, but both of them aimed at regions of better climate. For the milder temperature and more abundant rainfall of Western Europe made a country as alluring to the Goths, Huns, Alans, Slavs, Bulgars and Tartars of Asiatic deserts and Russian steppes, as were the sunny Mediterranean peninsulas to the dwellers of the bleak Baltic coasts. This is one geographic fact back of the conspicuous westward movement formulated into an historical principle, westward the star of empire takes its course. The establishment of European colonies on the western side of the Atlantic their extension thence to the Pacific and ever westward, till European culture was transplanted to the Philippines by Spain and more recently by the United States, constitute the most remarkable sustained movement made by any one race. But westward movements are not the only ones. On the Pacific slope of Asia the star has moved eastward. From highland Mongolia issued the throng which originally populated the lowlands of China, and ever since. One nomad conqueror after the other has descended thence to rule the fruitful plains of Chile and the teeming populations of the Yangtze Valley. Russia, blocked in its hope for expansion to the west by the strong powers of Central Europe, stretched its dominion eastward to the Pacific and for a short time over to Alaska. The chief expansion of the German people and the German Empire in historical times has also been from west to east, but this eastward advance is probably only retracing the steps taken by many primitive Teutonic tribes as they drifted rhineward from an earlier habitat along the Vistula. Since the world is small, 
It frequently happens that a people after an interval of generations, armed with a higher civilization, will re-enter a region which it once left when too crude and untutored to develop the possibilities of the land, but which its better equipment later enables it to exploit. Thus we find a backward expansion of the Chinese westward to the foot of the Pamir, and an internal colonization of the empire to the Ili feeder of Lake Balkosh. The expansion of the Japanese into Korea and Sogalin is undoubtedly such a return current, after an interval long enough to work a complete transformation in the primitive Mongolians who found their way to that island home. Sometimes the return represents the ebbing of the tide, rather than the backwater of a stream in flood. Such was the retreat of the Moors from Spain to the Berber districts of North Africa, whither they carried echoes of the brilliant Saracen civilization in the Iberian Peninsula. Such has been the gradual withdrawal of the Turks from Europe back to their native Asia, and slow expulsion of the Tartar tribes from Russia to the barren Asiatic limits of their former territory. See map page 225. Voluntary historical movements, seeking congenial or choice regions of the earth, have left its less favored spots and disturbed. Paucity of resources and isolation have generally ensured to a region a peaceful history. Natural wealth has always brought the conqueror. In ancient Greece the fruitful plains of Thessaly, Boeotia, Elias and Laconia had a fatal attraction for every migrating horde, Etica's rugged surface, poor soil, and sidetracked location off the main line of travel between Hellas and the Peloponnesus saved it from many a rough visit, and hence left the Athenians, according to Thucydides, an indigenous race. The fertility of the Rhine Valley has always attracted invasion, the barren black forest range has repelled and obstructed it. The security of such unproductive highlands lies more in their failure to attract than in their power to resist conquest, when to abundant natural resources, a single spot adds a reputation for wealth, magnificence, an exceptional position for the control of territory or commerce, it becomes a geographical magnet, such was Delphi for the Gauls of the Balkan Peninsula in the 3rd century, Rome for the Germanic and Hunnish tribes of the Volker wandering, Constantinople for the Normans, Turks and Russians, Venice for landlocked Austria, the Mississippi Highway and the outlet at New Orleans for our Trans-Allegheny pioneers. Sometimes the goal is fabulous or mythical, but potent to allure, like the land of El Dorado, abounding in gold and jewels, which for two centuries spurred on Spanish exploration in America, other than purely material motives may initiate or maintain such a movement, an ideal or a dream of good, like the fountain of eternal youth which brought Ponce de Leon to Florida the search for the islands of the blessed, or the spirit of religious propaganda which stimulated the spread of the Spanish in Mexico and the French in Canada, or the hope of religious toleration which has drawn Quaker, Puritan, Huguenot, and Jew to America, it was an idea of purely spiritual import which directed the century-long movement of the Crusades toward Jerusalem, half Latinized the Levant, and widened the intellectual horizon of Europe. A national or racial sentiment which inhills a certain spot may be pregnant with historical results, because at any moment it may start some band of enthusiasts on a path of migration or conquest, the Zionist agitation for the return of oppressed Jews to Palestine, and the establishment of the Liberian Republic for the Negroes in Africa rest upon such a sentiment. The reverence of the Christian world for Rome as a goal of pilgrimage materially enhanced the influence of Italy as a school of culture during the Middle Ages. The spiritual and ethnic association of the Mohammedan world with Mecca is always fraught with possible political results. The dominant tribes of the Sudan, followers of Islam, who proudly trace back a fictitious line of ancestry to the Arabs of Yemen, 
parentally incited to support a new prophet sprung from the race of Mecca, the pilgrimage switch the Buddhists of the Asiatic highlands make to the sacred city of Alhasa ensure China's control over the restless nomads through the instrumentality of the Grand Lama of Tibet. Historical movements are varied as to motive, direction, numerical strength, and character, but their final results are two. Differentiation and assimilation, both are important phases of the process of evolution, but the latter gains force with the progress of history and the increase of the world's population. A people or race which, in its process of numerical growth, spreads over a large territory subjects itself to a widening range of geographic conditions, and therefore of differentiation. The broad expansion of the Teutonic race in Europe, America, Australia and South Africa has brought it into every variety of habitat. If the territory has a monotonous relief like Russia, nevertheless, its near extent involves diversity of climate and location. The diversity of climate incident to a large area involves in turn different animal and plant life, different crops, different economic activities, even in lowlands the relief, geologic structure, and soil are prone to vary over wide districts. The monotonous surface of Holland shows such contrasts. So do the North German lowlands, here the sandy barren flats of the, just, alternate with stretches of fertile silt deposited by the rivers or the sea, and support different types of communities, which have been admirably described by Gustav Frankson in his great novel of Joe Newell. The flat surface of southern Illinois shows in small compass the teeming fertility of the famous, American bottom, the poor clay soil of, Egypt, with its backward population, and the rich prairie land just to the north with its prosperous and progressive farmer class. When the relief includes mountains, the character not only of the land but of the climate changes, and therewith the type of community, hence neighboring districts may produce strongly contrasted types of society. Madison County of Kentucky, lying on the eastern margin of the bluegrass region, contains the rich landed estates, Negro laboring class and aristocratic society characteristic of the planter communities of the Old South, and only 20 miles southeast of Richmond the center of this wealth and refinement. It includes also the rough barren hill country of the Cumberland Plateau, where are found one-room cabins, moonshine stills, feuds, and a backward population sprung from the same pure English stock as the bluegrass people. Here is differentiation due to the immediate influences of environment. The phenomenon reappears in every part of the world, in every race and every age. The contrast between the ancient Greeks of the mountains, Coasts and alluvial valleys shows the power of environment to direct economic activities and to modify culture and social organization. So does the differences between the coast, steppe, and forest Indians of Guyana, the Kyrgyz of the Pamir pastures and the Irtish River Valley, the agricultural Berbers of the Atlas Mountains and the Berber nomads of the Sahara, the Swiss of the High, lonely Ingadine and those of the crowded Ar Valley. Contrasted environments affect a natural selection in another way and thereby greatly stimulate differentiation. Whenever an intruding people contest the ownership of the territory with the inhabitants, the struggle for land means a struggle also for the best land, which therefore falls to the share of the strongest peoples. Weaklings must content themselves with poor soils, inaccessible regions of mountain, swamp or desert, there they deteriorate, or at best strike a slower pace of increase or progress. The difference between the people of the highlands and plains of Great Britain or of France is therefore in part a distinction of race due to this geographical selection, in part a distinction of economic development and culture due to geographic influences. Therefore the Piedmont belts of the world, except in Arab lands, are cultural, ethnic and often political lines of cleavage, 
showing marked differentiation on either side. Isotherms are other such cleavage lines, marking the limits beyond which an aggressive people did not desire to expand because of a non-congenial climate. The distinction between Anglo-Saxon and Latin America is one of zone as well as race. Everywhere in North America the English stock has dominated or displaced French and Spanish competitors down to the Mexican frontier. As the great process of European colonization has permeated the earth and multiplied its population, not only the best land but the amount of this has commenced to differentiate the history of various European nations, and that in a way whose end cannot yet be definitely predicted, the best lands have fallen to the first comers strong enough to hold them. People who early develop powers of expansion, like the English, or who, like the French and Russians, formulate and execute vast territorial policies, secure for their future growth a wide base which will for all time distinguish them from latecomers into the colonial field, like Germany and Italy. These countries see the fecundity of their people redounding to the benefit of alien colonial lands, which have been acquired by enterprising rivals in the choice sections of the temperate zone. German and Italian colonies in torrid, and healthy, or barren tropical lands, fail to attract emigrants from the mother country, and therefore to enhance national growth. When colonizers or conquerors appropriate the land of a lower race, we find a territory occupied at least for a time by two types of population, constituting an ethnic, social and often economic differentiation. The separation may be made geographical also. The Indians in the United States have been confined to reservations, like the Hogtots to the 20 or more locations in Cape Colony. This is the simplest arrangement. Whether the second or lower type survives depends upon their economic and social utility, into which again geographic conditions enter. The Indians of Canada are a distinct economic factor in that country as trappers for the Hudson Bay Company, and they will so remain till the hunting grounds of the far north are exhausted. The native agriculturists in the tropics are indispensable to the unacclimated whites. The Negroes of the South, introduced for an economic purpose, find their natural habitat in the Black Belt. Here we had an ethnic division of labor for geographical reasons, castes or social classes, often distinguished by shades of color as in Brahmin India, survive as differentiations indicating old lines of race cleavage. There is abundant evidence that the upper classes in Germany, France, Austria, and the British Isles are distinctly lighter of hair and eyes than the peasantry. The high-class Japanese are taller and fairer than the Masses. Nearly all the African tribes of the Sudan and bordering Sahara include two distinct classes, one of lighter and one of darker shade. Many Fulbi tribes distinguish these classes by the names of blacks and whites. The two type people are the result of historical movements. Differentiation results not only from contrasted geographic conditions, but also from segregation. A moving or expanding throng in search of more and better lands drops off one group to occupy a fertile valley or plain while the main body goes on its way, till it reaches a satisfactory destination or destinations. The tendency to split and divide, characteristic of primitive peoples, is thus stimulated by migration and expansion. Each offshoot, detached from the main body, tends to diverge from the stock type. If it reaches a naturally isolated region, where its contact without is practically cut off, it grows from its own loins, emphasizes its group characteristic by close in breeding and tends to show a development related to biological divergence under conditions of isolation. Since man is essentially a gregarious animal, the size of every such migrating band will always prevent the evolution of any sharply defined variety, according to the standard of biology.
Nevertheless, the divergent types of men and societies developed in segregated regions are an echo of the formation of new species under conditions of isolation which is now generally acknowledged by biological science. Isolation was recognized by Darwin as an occasional factor in the origin of species and especially of divergence, in combination with migration it was made the basis of a theory of evolution by Moritz Wagner in 1873, and in recent years has come to be regarded as an essential in the explanation of divergence of types, as opposed to differentiation, the traditions of the Delaware Indians and Sioux in the north of the United States Territory, and of the Creeks in the south commence with each stock group as a united body, which, as it migrates, splits into tribes and sends out offshoots developing different dialects. Here was tribal differentiation after entry into the general stock area, the process going on during migration as well as after the tribes had become established in their respective habitats. Culture, however, made little progress till after they became sedentary and took up agriculture to supplement the chase. Tribes sometimes wander far beyond the limits of their stock, like the Iroquois and Cherokees of East Tennessee and North Carolina or the Athapascan Navajos and Apaches of Arid New Mexico and Arizona, who had placed 20 or 30 degrees of latitude between themselves and their brethren in the basins of the Yukon and Mackenzie rivers. Such inevitably come into contrasted climatic conditions, which further modify the immigrants. See map page 54. Wide digressions differentiate them still further from the parent stock by landing them amid different ethnic and social groups, by contact with whom they are inevitably modified. The Namakwa Hogtots, living on the southern margin of the Hogtot country near the frontier of the European settlements in Cape Colony, acquired some elements of civilization, together with a strain of Boer and English blood, and in some cases even the Dutch vernacular. They were therefore differentiated from their nomadic and warlike kinsmen in the grasslands north of the Orange River, which formed the center of the Hogtot area. A view of the ancient Germans during the first five or six centuries after Christ reveals differentiation by various contacts in process along all the ragged borders of the Germanic area. The offshoots who pushed westward across the Rhine into Belgian Gaul were rapidly Celticized, abandoning their semi-nomadic life for sedentary agriculture assimilating the superior civilization which they found there, and steadily merging with the native population, they became Belgae, though still conscious of their Teutonic origin. The Batavians, an offshoot of the ancient Chatti living near the Thuringian forest, appropriated the river island between the Rhine and the Vaal, there in the seclusion of their swamps, they became a distinct national unit, retaining their backward German culture and primitive type of German speech which the Chatti themselves lost by contact with the High Germans. Far away on the southeastern margin of the Teutonic area the same process of assimilation to a foreign civilization went on a little later when the Visigoths, after a century of residence on the Lower Danube in contact with the Eastern Empire, adopted the Aryan form of Christianity which had arisen in the Greek peninsula. The border regions of the world show the typical results of the historical movement differentiation from the core or central group through assimilation to a new group which meets and blends with it along the frontier. Entrance into a naturally isolated district, from which subsequent incursions are debarred, gives conditions for divergence and the creation of a new type. On the other hand, where few physical barriers are present to form these natural pockets, the process of assimilation goes on over a wide field. Europe is peculiar among the family of continents for its much-divided geography, commented upon by Strabo. Hence its islands, peninsulas and mountain-rimmed basins have produced a variegated assemblage of peoples, languages and culture, 
Only where it runs off into the monotonous immensity of Russia do we find a people who in their physical traits, language, and civilization reflect the uniformity of their environment. Africa's smooth outline, its plateau surface rimmed with mountains which enclose but fail to divide, and its monotonous configuration hath produced a racial and cultural uniformity as striking as Europe's heterogeneity. Constant movements and commixture, migration and conquest, have been the history of the black races, varied by victorious incursions of the Hamitic and Semitic whites from the north, which, however, have resulted in the amalgamation of the two races after conquest. Constant fusion has leveled also the social and political relations of the people to a one type, it has eliminated primordial groups, except where the dwarf hunters have taken refuge in the equatorial forests and the bushmen in the southwestern deserts, just as it has thwarted the development of higher social groups by failure to segregate and protect. It has sown the Bantu speech broadcast over the immense area of Central Africa, and is disseminating the Hausa language through the agency of a highly mixed commercial folk over a wide tract of the western Sudan. The long east and west stretch of the Sudan grasslands presents an unobstructed zone between the thousand-mile belt of desert to the north and the dense equatorial forests to the south. Between hunger and thirst on one side, heat and fever and impenetrable forests on the other. Hence the Sudan in all history has been the crowded Broadway of Africa. Here pass commercial caravans, hybrid merchant tribes like the Hausa, throngs of pilgrims, streams of peoples, herds of cattle moving to busy markets, rude incursive shoppers or looters from the desert, coming to buy or rob or rule in this highway belt. See map page 105. Historical development advances by means of differentiation and assimilation. A change of environment stimulates variation. Primitive culture is loath to change, its inertia is deep-seated. Only a sharp prod will start it moving or accelerate its speed. Such a prod is found in new geographic conditions or new social contacts. Divergence in a segregated spot may be overdone. Progress crawls among a people too long isolated. Though incipient civilization thrives for a time in seclusion. But in general, accessibility. Exposure to some measure of ethnic amalgamation and social contact is essential to sustain progress. As the world has become more closely populated and means of communication have improved, geographical segregation is increasingly rare. The earth has lost its corners. All parts are being drawn into the circle of intercourse. Therefore differentiation, the first effect of the historical movement, abates, the second effect, assimilation, takes the lead. The ceaseless human movements making for new combinations have stimulated development. They have lifted the level of culture, and worked towards homogeneity of race and civilization on a higher plane. Since the period of the great discoveries inaugurated by Columbus enabled the historical movement to compass the world, whole continents, like North America and Australia, have been reclaimed to civilization by colonization. The process of assimilation is often ruthless in its method. Hence it has been attended by a marked reduction in the number of different ethnic stocks, tribes, languages, dialects, social and cultural types through widespread elimination of the weak, backward or unfit. These have been wiped out, either by extermination or the slower process of absorption. The Indian linguistic stocks in the United States have been reduced from 53 to 32, and of those 32, many survive as a single tribe or the shrinking remnant of one. In Africa the slave trade has caused the annihilation of many small tribes. The history of the Hottentots, who have been passive before the active advance of the English, Dutch and coffers about them, shows a race undergoing a widespread process of hybridization and extermination. 
strong peoples, like the English, French, Russians and Chinese, occupy ever larger areas, where an adverse climate precludes genuine colonization, as it did for the Spanish in Central and South America, and for the English and Dutch in the Indies, they make their civilization, if not their race, permeate the acquired territory, and gradually impose on it their language and economic methods, the Poles, who once boasted a large and distinguished nationality, are being Germanized and recited to their final national extinction, the Finns, whose Scandinavian offshoot has been almost absorbed in Sweden, are being forcibly dissolved in the Muscovite dominion by powerful Russians, by Russian schoolmasters, a Russian priesthood, Russian military service, no new types of races have been developed either by amalgamation or by transfer to new climatic and economic conditions in historic times, contrasted geographic conditions long ago lost their power to work radical physical changes in the race type, because man even with the beginnings of civilization learned to protect himself against extremes of climate, he therefore preserved his race type, which consequently in the course of ages lost much of its plasticity and therewith its capacity to evolve new varieties, where ethnic amalgamations on a large scale had occurred as a result of the historical movement, as in Mexico, the Sudan and Central Africa, the local race, being numerically stronger than the intruders and better adapted to the environment has succeeded in maintaining its type, though slightly modified, side by side with the intruders, the great historical movements of modern times, however, have been the expansion of European peoples over the retarded regions of the world, these peoples, coming into contact with inferior races, and armed generally with a race pride which was antagonistic to hybrid marriages, preserved their blood from extensive intermixture, hybridism, where it existed was an ephemeral feature restricted to pioneer days, when white women were scarce, or to regions of extreme heat or cold, where white women and children could with difficulty survive, even in Spanish America, where ethnic blendings were most extensive, something of the old Spanish pride of race has reasserted itself, improved communication maintains or increases the ranks of the intruders' foe.